Welcome to the Renaissance Christian Church Podcast. We're a church family with the mission of seeking God, serving others, and sharing the gospel. We're grateful that you have joined us as we study through the Bible, and we hope that it brings you encouragement and inspiration for your daily life. Here's Pastor Robert Fonseca. And for the rest of us, go ahead and open your Bibles to the book of Acts. We are going to be in uh, chapter 26 as we start a new series uh, on which which is entitled Encountering the Resurrection. So over the next four weeks, or Encountering the Resurrected Lord, we're going to look at different individuals and how they responded when they came in contact with the resurrected Lord. We're going to look at how it transformed them. Uh, Because you can't help but be transformed, I'm sure, if we as individuals were to physically see the resurrected Lord. Could you imagine that? One day we will see him. And we have all seen him in in different forms, in different ways, which is why you're here today. But think of it actually physically, literally seeing and touching the resurrected Lord. How that would transform you. And so we're going to look at how it transformed these individuals. We'll find similarities for us as well as we have encountered the resurrected Lord. And I pray this will encourage those of you this morning uh, who have maybe yet to encounter the resurrected Lord, that you would experience that for the first time in your life. And I pray that we will all uh, be encouraged through this series over the next few weeks. And so today we're going to look at a man in Scripture who really went, you know, he did a complete 180, which is really what all believers should obtain to, right? Being transformed by the resurrected Lord. He went from being a persecutor of the church to being persecuted himself. He went from pursuing Christians into foreign cities, like chasing them down, to taking the gospel to foreign cities, He went from imprisoning Christians to being imprisoned himself. And he went as far as getting people to renounce their faith, you know, saying that they did not believe in the Lord Jesus to himself proclaiming the faith openly. And we can make so many comparisons about this man. And he, outside of Jesus, is probably the most, I would say, at least if I was on the voting, if I was voting, the most influential Christian in world history. As you may know, I'm talking about the Apostle Paul. We're going to look in chapter 26 of Acts. We're going to look at his testimony of his life before he encountered the resurrected Lord. We're going to look at his testimony of when he encounter, of the actual encounter of the resurrected Lord, and then his testimony of his life after encountering the resurrected Lord. So it's before the actual event and after is how we're going to work through the text this morning. And if you, if, as you know the story, the actual account of his encounter is in Acts chapter 9, but I want to look at his testimony here in Acts 26 where he is telling a, a court or the king, King Agrippa, I think that's who it is, we'll see in a moment, about his experience. And again, he's going to say what he, who he was before, what happened and then who he is now. And then I'm sure as we go along and are going through the text, you will, you will resonate with a lot of this, especially if you are a believer. 
And even if you're not, I pray that some of it will resonate with you so that you will be encouraged to have that experience with the Lord and become a follower of Christ. So with that said, let's start in verse 4 of Acts chapter 26. And we're going to look, we're going to read through the first 11 verses. And this is Paul's description of his past before he encountered the resurrected Lord. And as I said, he's standing on trial before the king. And this is what he says, and starting in verse 4. He says, So then all, the, all Jews know my manner of life from my youth up. So he's saying, you know about my past, which from the beginning was spent among my own nation and at Jerusalem. Since they have known about me for a long time previously, if they are willing to testify that I have lived as a Pharisee according to the strictest sect of our religion, and now I am standing trial for the hope of the promise made by God to our fathers, the promise to which our twelve tribes hope to attain as they earnestly serve God night and day. And for this hope, O King, I am being accused by Jews. Why is it considered incredible among you people if God does raise the dead? So then I thought to myself that I had to do many things hostile to the name of Jesus of Nazareth. And this is just what I did in Jerusalem. Not only did I lock up many of the saints in prison, so he's talking about his past life. So he locked up many saints in prison having received authority from the chief priests, but also when they were being put to death, I cast my vote against them. And as I punished them often in all the synagogues, I tried to force them to blasphemy, and, to be, and being furiously enraged at them, I kept pursuing them even to foreign cities. And we'll stop right there. So here we have a description of the Apostle Paul of his past life. You know, because at this time he's already been on missionary journeys and he's proclaiming the gospel and he's telling all those in attendance of who he was before. And he starts off by saying, you know who I was. I was a Pharisee of the highest order. So a part of the religious sect of the Jewish religion. As a matter of fact, in the book of Philippians chapter 3 verses 4 through 6 he says of himself this, he says, Although I myself might have confidence even in the flesh, if anyone else has a mind to put confidence in the flesh, I far more. Circumcised on the eighth day of the nation of Israel, the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrews of Hebrews, as to the law of Pharisee, as to zeal, a persecutor of the church, and as to righteousness, which is in the law, found blameless. He was saying his past life, he lived above reproach. He went above and beyond. He was the, you know, the Hebrews of Hebrews. If you looked up Hebrew in the Hebrew dictionary, it'd be a picture of the Apostle Paul, that type of thing. He's like, there was nobody who lived with more zeal for God than myself in his past, he's saying. And so Paul knew what to look for in the coming Messiah. And his past tells us that he did not believe that Jesus was that Messiah. And he did not believe that those who were following Jesus were doing the right thing, which is why he was out there persecuting them. Right? He was saying, you know what, if you guys are going to propagate this lie about a false Messiah, then I am going to get rid of you. Right? He was not going to have that. He was going to get rid of him. 
Thus, if you look at verses 6 and 8, because he knew the Messiah, this hope that he had, he said this is why he's now standing trial, because he now sees that this is the Messiah. Look at verses 6 and 8 one more time. He says, And now I am standing trial for the hope and the promise made by God to our fathers, the promise to which our 12 tribes hope to attain. So he's saying there was a promise uh, prescribed in the Old Testament, which was their scriptures at the time. It's the only scriptures they had. They're looking for this Messiah. Right? And now he's standing trial because he's saying Jesus is that Messiah. And so his entire nation, in one sense, or at least the religious authorities, have now turned against him. It isn't different than it is today for those of you who are believers If you haven't noticed, our beliefs as Christians are contrary to society. They can even be contrary to those in our own household, which Jesus said we would be enemies in our own household. We can be considered outcasts among family, among friends, and yes, even in our own society. Some people believe we are wasting our time in believing that Jesus is the Messiah. And some of you may feel that now. Well, this is what the Apostle Paul was saying was going on in his life. So his upbringing, again, he was from the strictest order of the Jewish religion, a Pharisee. And as I mentioned earlier, he felt it was his responsibility, as we'll see again in verses 9 through 11, it was his responsibility to protect and rid his people of heretical beliefs, which is why he was imprisoning the followers of Jesus, it said. Right, And when they were captured and the vote was to a sentence of death, he says in verse, uh, verse 10 that he voted for their death. They should die. Not only did he just want them to stop, he didn't even want them to live. That's how zealous he was in his belief. He wanted the death penalty to be brought upon these believers. And when that wasn't the case, he was trying to get them, as it said, to blasphemy, which is to renounce their faith, right? Say that you do not believe that Jesus is the Messiah. You need to blasphemy the Lord, saying he's not the Lord. And as he said himself, he hunted them down. He chased the followers of Jesus into not only in the Jerusalem, but he went outside. He got letters from the chief priests of the synagogues to pursue them even to foreign cities. So you could tell he was enraged. He didn't want them just out of his area. He didn't want them to exist at all. He was a pretty bad guy. Believers were afraid of him. As a matter of fact, Ananias, we are told in Acts chapter 9, 13 through 14, Ananias was the first believer who was sent to the Apostle Paul. So you could imagine if this happened to you, if you were Ananias, where God is saying, Ananias, there's this man named Saul, that was his name at the time, Uh, I need you to go to him, because I'm going to use him uh, for good. And Ananias, this is what Ananias said in Acts 9, 13 through 14. He says, Lord, I have heard from many about this man, how much harm he did to your saints at Jerusalem. And And hear that he has authority from chief priest to bind all who call on your name. I'm sure the Lord knew that, but Ananias was like, are you sure that that's the right guy? This is the right Saul. I'm sure that was a common name. There were more Sauls. The point being is that 
Paul was a pretty bad guy. And the Christians knew about him, and they wanted nothing to do with him. And so here, Ananias is being told to go to the Apostle Paul, and you can read the rest of that story in Acts chapter 9. And so this is Paul's past, he's saying. This is who I was. And then in verses 12 through 18, the story changes, because as you, if you know the story, as he was on his way to Damascus to persecute Christians, something happened. This is where he encountered the resurrected Lord, and this is Paul's account of it. In chapter 26, he says this, While thus engaged, as I was journeying to Damascus with the authority and commission of the chief priest. So as he was about to go find some Christians and persecute them, this is what he says happened. At midday, O king, I saw on the way a light from heaven brighter than the sun shining all around me and those who were journeying with me. And when we had fallen to the ground, I heard a voice saying to me in the Hebrew dialect, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? It is hard for you to kick against the goads. And I said, who art thou, Lord? And the Lord said, I am Jesus, whom you are persecuting. But arise and stand on your feet for the purpose I have appeared to you to appoint you to a minister and a witness, not only to the things which you have seen, but also to the things which I will appear to you, delivering you from the Jewish people and from the Gentiles to whom I am sending, who I am sending you, to open their eyes so that they may turn from darkness to light and from the dominion of Satan to God, in order they may receive forgiveness of sins and an inheritance among those who have been sanctified by faith in me. So this is Paul's personal testimony of what happened when he encountered the resurrected Lord and what the Lord said to him. So again, Paul here is on the road to Damascus to hunt down believers, and all of a sudden this bright light shines, and he's knocked down. I was thinking he was knocked down from a horse, but I think that was like one of those uh, children's movies I saw. I didn't see that actually in the text. So I had to erase that from my notes. I was like, that doesn't say that there. Does, does anybody know? But whatever. He was probably, whether he was walking or he was on a horse, he saw a bright light and he was knocked down. And then he heard a voice, he says, in his own Hebrew language. In other accounts, there's a, a different account in Acts 22 and again in, verse, in Acts 9. It says that only he could understand what the voice said. So those people that were with him, they heard a voice, but they didn't know what the voice said. Right? And they were blinded. They could not see. Only Paul, only Paul actually heard words or understood them. They did not. And isn't that sometimes true of us in our own conversion experience? How it seems like we hear a voice. We hear the Lord speaking to us when we became believers that, you know what, I need to, I need to follow the Lord. I remember at my conversion experience, you know, it wasn't like a, I didn't see a big light, you know. I didn't see that, unless it was a light from the stage or something. But I know I felt, you know what, when, when the pastor at the time said, do you, the thing that got me was like, do you want to live forever? And I was like, I think I was 18 or 19. I was like, yeah, uh, who doesn't, you know, at that age. You think you're going to live forever at that age. Um, and I did, and I, and I walked forward at that. You know, I wasn't 
fully transformed. I didn't really understand it all, and it took a little while. But for me, that spoke to me. And I think all of you would say the same thing. There is something that only you heard from God. The person, even the person next to you, nobody got up that was next to me and walked down. It was just me. It was as if God was speaking just to me. Just like this conversion experience for the Apostle Paul. He was the only one who heard this. And he knew that God was talking right to him. That's why he asked, you know, then he goes on with the conversation in verse 14. The Lord says to the Apostle Paul after getting his attention, right? Sometimes you just need to get, the Lord needs to get a hold of us, right? He needs to, sometimes needs to knock us down so that we listen, right? Most of us, I would say, we're not, life isn't going great and everything's beautiful. And you know what, you know what, today I'm just going to decide to follow the Lord. Sometimes, I mean, if that happens, great. I don't want people to experience hardship before they follow the Lord. I mean, at 18, 19, I wasn't going, you know, I wasn't like, there weren't bad things happening in my life. But for a lot of people, God has to bring them down to their lowest, the, the lowest place in their life to where they finally say, you know what? I need the Lord. I need the Lord. Sometimes we need to pray that for people in our lives. You know what, Lord? Whatever it takes, whatever it takes to get them to follow you. If you need to, you know, you know bring upon hardship in the life, because what's more important than salvation? There is nothing more important than salvation. So here the Apostle Paul asks, or excuse me, the Lord asks him, Saul, why are you persecuting me? You see, persecuting, Paul didn't think he was persecuting the Lord. He was persecuting people that he thought were against the Lord. And the Lord's corrected, no, you're persecuting me. If you persecute my people, you are persecuting me. God will hold, hold all those accountable who persecute his people, even in our life as well. All those uh, countries and people that are going after Christian believers, even today, as they are going after the Lord's people, the Lord will hold them accountable one day. And so here Jesus is telling the Apostle Paul at this moment, why are you persecuting me? And then he gives him this saying, he says, it is hard for you to kick against the goads. Well, what does that mean? What is kicking against the goads? Well, a goad is, is a sharp object that a herder will use to herd cattle, to poke them along, to get them to move. And so it's a sharp object that the cattle can't, you know, can't ignore. If they try to kick it, they're actually going to hurt themselves, right? Because it's a, it's a sharp object. And this is a comparison that the Lord is making to the Apostle Paul. He's like, if you're fighting against me, you're actually going to hurt yourself. You're kicking against the goat. It's a losing battle. So we don't know what exactly was, what that means to the Apostle Paul. What was he losing? I mean, maybe he wasn't very successful in his persecutions of Christians. Right? Maybe when he was trying to get them to renounce their faith, they wouldn't do it. We have a lot of accounts of first and second century uh, government authorities who were amazed that the early Christians, even to the point of death, would not renounce their faith. They would stand up and say, I would rather die than renounce believing in Jesus Christ. And they were amazed at this. Maybe that's what he's talking about. Maybe Paul wasn't successful in getting believers to blaspheme the Lord. Instead, he would have to throw them in prison. 
and they would be uh, persecuted in some sense. Maybe that's what was going on. Or maybe Paul was suffering internally, that he knew that it was, something wasn't right as he was going after believers. Maybe deep down inside, he was in internal torment, knowing, and maybe he didn't really know what it was. Like, something's not right. It doesn't feel right, but yet he kept fighting it. We are not told what exactly that means. But it reminds me of people even today, and maybe even some of you sitting here this morning or listening, that that's what you're experiencing. You're fighting the calling against God, and you're hurting yourself in some sense. Right? It doesn't feel good. You know something's not right. Maybe you're going through internal struggles and anguish because everyone around you is a believer and you're not. You're like, what do they see that I don't? And, and I'm not trying to follow the Lord, but something's not right in my life. And you're kicking against the goad. And that's a little warning to you. Now, just a quick little, you know, quick little poke from the Lord. So you know what? You're going to lose. And you don't want to lose in the end because eventually you will. Right? Take it as a, a moment of grace where the Lord, is, the Lord is poking and prodding you to come to him. Don't let it get so far where it's too late because eventually all people will lose who fight against the Lord. And so this is what the Lord tells the Apostle Paul. And then Paul in verse 15 says, well, who are you? You know, he knows it's like, who am I persecuting? Maybe that's what he's saying. And that's what he says, I'm Jesus. I'm Jesus, the one that you're persecuting, the one that you say is not the Messiah. And then the Lord says to him in verses 16 through 18, he, he gives the Apostle Paul his marching orders. Look at verse 16 again. He says, but arise and stand on your feet. He's like, get up now. Get up, Paul. Stand on your feet, right? For I have a purpose. I have appeared to you. The Lord calls us for a purpose. He called the Apostle Paul for a purpose. And he gives the Apostle Paul his marching order. He says, I've appointed you to be a minister and to be a witness. A minister just means a servant. He's like, you're going to serve me now, Paul. You're no longer going to serve the Pharisees, this religious sect, your own philosophies, your own ideas. You're going to be my servant you're going to do what I want you to do from this point forward. And you're going to be a witness for me. Meaning you're going to testify to what the Lord has done. And he says, what I'm going to show you in the future. Right? That's what he says. You're going to be a witness and you're going to be a minister to all the things that I'm going to tell you and the things that I'm going to show you. Right? Thankfully, the, the Apostle Paul listened because most of the books in the New Testament were written by the Apostle Paul. And then he gives him a third instruction in verse 17. He says, delivering you from the Jewish people and from the Gentiles to who I am sending you. So Paul's commission was to be an apostle or a, excuse me, a minister and a disciple to the Jews and to the Gentiles. But it's not going to be easy. He says, I'm going to have to deliver you from them. And as you know of the Apostle Paul's life, he suffered quite a bit. He suffered imprisonment. He almost suffered death a few times. They left him for dead. He suffered uh, being left alone, being abandoned by his friends, all because he was a servant of the Lord and a witness of the Lord. But he promised Paul 
the one thing. I'm going to deliver you from all that. You don't need to worry. You don't need to worry. I'm going to deliver you. You don't worry about that. You go out and you minister for me. You be my servant. You open up the eyes of these people. You, I'm going to use you to turn them from darkness to light, he says, from the dominion of Satan to God, which means they're going to receive the forgiveness of sins. And they are going to be part of the inheritance of all of God's people. That was going to be Saul's mission. And so once the Apostle Paul knew who was talking to him, okay, he's like, this is the Lord. Okay, this is the Lord Jesus who I've been persecuting. Once he knew who was talking to him, and once he knew what he was being, going to, what he was being asked to do, he had to make a decision, right? The Apostle Paul at some point had to say, I'm going to do that. Each person in this world, you and I as well, when we were confronted with our sins, when we were confronted with our need for Christ, we had to make that decision. Am I going to serve the Lord? Am I going to be his minister? Each person in this world has to make that decision on their own. They are left to decide, will you serve the Lord or will you continue to kick against the goad? And so the Apostle Paul, as we already know what the outcome was, tells us what his life was like after encountering the resurrected Lord. Look at verse 19, and we'll read through verse 23. He says this, Consequently, King Agrippa, I did not prove disobedient to the heavenly vision, but kept declaring both to those in Damascus first and also in Jerusalem and then throughout all the region of Judea and even to the Gentiles that they should repent and turn to God, performing deeds appropriate to repentance. For this reason, some Jews seized me in the temple and tried to put me to death. And so having obtained help from God, I stand to this day testifying both to small and great, stating nothing but what the prophets and Moses said was going to take place, that the Christ was to suffer, and that by reason of his resurrection from the dead, he should be the first to proclaim light both to the Jewish people and to the Gentiles. So the Apostle Paul says, you know what? I proved obedient to this calling. I answered that call. When the Lord said, stand up, rise, and go, I did it. That's what he says in verse 19. I did not prove disobedient to the heavenly calling. He did what the Lord called him to do. He kept declaring to both Jews and Gentiles, verse 20 tells us, that they should repent, that they should turn to God and perform deeds appropriate to repentance. Basically, live life as a believer. Right? It's not enough to just say, yeah, I believe in the Lord, and that's it. No, he's like, you need the evidence that you, live, that you believe in the Lord by living a life of a believer. Your beliefs affect your lifestyle. So not only did he do that, in verses 21 through 22, it says, true to what God said was going to happen, he had been persecuted. Again, look at verse 21 and 22. He says, For this reason, some Jews seized me in the temple and tried to put me to death. The exact same thing that the Apostle Paul was doing to believers was now happening to him. And he didn't mind. The Lord told him this was going to happen. But because he was so impacted by the resurrected Lord, he could not help but go and do that. 
And then in verse 22, it also tells us a little bit more about his suffering and his, where is that, in verse 21, I'm sorry, yeah. So he was put, he was being seized in the temple when they tried to put him to death, right? That's enough right there. Exactly what the Lord said was going to happen. And he continued to proclaim the message of the Lord despite that. Verses 22 through 23 tells us that. He was just declaring what the prophets of the Old Testament had proclaimed and the law of Moses had proclaimed. He went into synagogues and would reason, we are told throughout the book of Acts, with the the, uh, Jewish believers in the Old Testament law or the Old Testament Messiah, so to speak, He would reason with them that the Messiah that we're looking for is actually this Jesus who came and he has been resurrected. This is what our fathers were proclaiming. They didn't truly understand it, but this is the outcome of what the Lord wanted to do. And so this is the the testimony of the Apostle Paul, that heavenly encounter with the resurrected Christ transformed him from a persecutor to being persecuted himself, as I had mentioned. And so let's just find some comparisons as we wrap up this morning. Um, first, to those of you who have encountered the resurrected Lord. And as I mentioned, I'm sure, I mean, I would love to hear if any of you have seen this, something as crazy as the Apostle Paul, like a, a bright light that knocked you down. But we've all encountered the resurrected Lord who are believers in some sense. And in the same way, like the Apostle Paul was called to be a minister and a witness for the Lord, you too are appointed to be a minister. Now that doesn't mean you're like a minister like speaking in front of a church like this, but what does a minister mean? As I mentioned earlier, it means you're a servant. You're a servant. You are a servant of the Lord now that you've encountered the resurrected Lord. You serve God. You should serve God first above all things. We are, and that means you're to execute God's will in your life. What is God's will for your life? Well, number one, it's that you're going to be his servant. You're going to do all that I've commanded you to do. That's contained in Scripture, which is so important why we need to read God's Word. This is where the Lord tells us how to live. If, if you're, I can't stress this enough, and we went through this in our Christian Life series. If you're not reading God's Word, then God's not going to speak to you. Very rare does anybody hear a verbal word of the Lord. Right? I think they needed that in those times because they didn't have the written word like we do. We have an abundance of access to God's word now where God can speak to us on a daily basis, but we have to get into it. That's how we're going to know what God wants, in our, wants us to do in our lives. But again, you as someone that's encountered the resurrected Lord, you're appointed to be his minister his servants. We are all God's servants. Secondly, you're appointed to be his witness. If you've encountered the resurrected Lord, you are appointed to be his witness, which means we give testimony to what we have seen and what we have heard from the Lord. All that you know about God, you're to testify to that to those people in your lives as you have opportunity The Apostle Paul wrote to the Corinthian church in 2 Corinthians 5, verse 20. He says this about believers. He says, therefore, we are ambassadors for Christ. As though God were making an appeal through us, 
we beg you on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. You and I, who are believers, that is our, that is our marching orders. We're to stand up and to go out and tell the world that they need to be reconciled to God. They need to be made right with God. And how do they do that? By believing on the Lord Jesus Christ and all that he has done. So since you have encountered the resurrected Lord, you are appointed to be a minister. You are appointed to be a witness. And you know what? You are going to get helped by the Lord, just like the Apostle Paul was. Right? The Lord said, you know what? I'm going to deliver you in the process. It means you're going to go through some stuff, but I'm going to deliver you through all of it, which means I'm going to help you. Guess what? As we go out and minister to the Lord, there's going to be persecution against us. And it might not, no, I don't, I hope not. No one's going to throw you in prison. Not yet, at least. Depends how things go in our world. But if you lived in different parts of the world, you could be thrown in prison for testifying and evangelizing out there. Right now, the most that we'll get is probably some, you know, being treated as outcasts, being ostracized, losing friends or family members that don't want to hear you. But it's, we know that as we go out and do that, God's going to help us do it. In Romans 8, verses 28 through 31, look at what the Lord says about you as believers. He says that we know that God causes all things. You should underline that in your Bible. All things. God causes all things to work together for good to those who love God to those who are called according to his purpose. And look at this. For those he, he foreknew, he also predestined to become conformed to the image of his Son, so that he would be the firstborn among brethren. And these whom he predestined, he also called. And these whom he called, he also justified. And these whom he justified, he also glorified. What then shall we say to all these things? If God is for us, who is against us? Right? God's saying, I've called you from the beginning and I'm going to see it through to the very end and I'm going to be with you until the very end. In between, it could be tough and rough and it might not be the greatest, but I'm with you. I've predestined you to go out there and be conformed into the image of my son and I'm going to help you get through it. Whatever it is you're going through especially as you're being a minister and a servant for God in this world because that's what we're called to do. God's going to help us do it. I remember when I first became a believer, I wasn't, I never envisioned myself here. I'm, like, I'm not doing that. I remember the first time, I remember Christian shirts were like really big when I first became a believer. And the Christians would always kind of make things that were similar to the world. You guys remember those Lord's Gym t-shirts? Is anybody a Christian old enough like me to believe that? Thank you. Somebody, I'm like, whew. Do you know Gold's Gym? You guys heard of Gold's Gym, right? There used to be shirts that say Lord's Gym, and it was Christ, you know, bearing a cross. And I was like, as a new believer, I was like, I'm not going to, I'm a Christian, but I'm not going to be a Christian that wears a shirt like that. Yeah, little did I know I would be wearing that shirt later on in life. The point is, you don't, you know, you, right now you're like, I can't go out and do that, but the Lord will help you go out and be a witness. I'm not going to say you're going to wear a Lord's Gym t-shirt but the point is the Lord will use you. The Lord's going to transform you and conform you into the image of his son. God's going to help us because we're, he's called us. 
like he did to the Apostle Paul, to be a minister and a witness for him. Each and every believer is called to do that, and God's going to help us do that. And I want to close just with this, this one last thing. For those of you this morning who maybe are fighting against the resurrected Lord for whatever reason, I think, you know, in one sense, you need to be knocked down. You need to be knocked off. If it's a horse, you're a high horse, so to speak. Right? All of us at some point in our lives were humbled by the Lord. That's the point. That's why the Apostle Paul is on the ground. He had to be humbled. And I pray that you don't fight against the Lord too long so you don't fall so hard. Right? Because you know what? As I mentioned earlier, if you continue to fight against the Lord, you may have little victories in the sense that you don't follow him, but in the end you will lose and you will fall hard. And I pray that none of you will experience that. If you hear this, this word this morning, I pray that you will be reconciled to God, that you will encounter the resurrected Lord, and you will be, again, knocked down to the ground and stand up and be his servant and his minister. And God will help you do that. Let's pray. Lord God, thank you so much for the testimony and the recorded words of the Apostle Paul and how we can learn how you use this man to transform the world because he gave his life to you. He decided, yes, Lord, I'm going to be your servant. I'm going to be your minister. And I'm going to go out and share the gospel with all those around, those that you send me to. And I pray this morning for all of us who are believers, Lord, that you would give us the courage and the strength to go out and be witnesses to those in our life and that are all around us in our lives, whether it's in our neighborhoods, our families, and our places of business, and just out and about in town, Lord God. Help us to live a life that glorifies you. Help us to do things that would bring honor to you. And when we have the opportunity, help us to proclaim your words to people who need you. And I pray this morning also for those, Lord God, who are in one sense kicking against the goad, that they would hear your voice this morning, that they would hear your call to stand up and to be your servant and your minister. I pray, Lord, that you would continue to goad them until they come to know you as, your, as their Lord and Savior. And so we thank you for this time we've had together as a church and pray that you would continue to minister to us, Lord God, and speak to us as we close in worship. And we pray this in your name. Amen. Thanks for joining us in today's study. If you'd like to know more about us or where you can attend one of our services, you can find information online at www.ren.church. That's R-E-N dot church. Thanks for listening.